Do you want your business to grow faster? Are you open to new and out-of-the-box ways to drive revenues and increase value? How do you imagine the most successful entrepreneurs and business leaders double, triple, or expand their businesses tenfold or more? The answer is deals. This is a weekly podcast featuring conversations with business owners, executives, and leaders as we reveal behind-the-scenes details that give you, our listeners, the confidence to pursue your own deal-driven growth. On the show, we discuss a huge variety of deals, everything from large complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My name is Corey Kupfer, and I've been supporting deal-driven growth for businesses for 35 years as a successful entrepreneur, professional negotiator, and attorney. My goal is to help you strategize, plan for, find, and complete deals that will help your company grow faster. Welcome to the Deal Quest podcast. Let's get started. DealQuest listeners and viewers, I'm so excited to have Keith Pola as a guest on the DealQuest podcast. Keith is the founder of the K2 Group LLC, a finance consultancy. He has worked with and impacted hundreds of companies with financing and financing education. Over the past few years, he's originated and closed over $100 million in financing with a particular focus on natural products and food and beverage industries. He supports founders in, in multiple other areas via several other roles, including as mentor of the Nutrition Capital Network, as a year five mastermind advisor for Babson College's Women's Innovating Now Growth Lab, and as a Wharton Venture Lab expert in residence and mentor. Under his newly created Financing Man brand, Keith is about to launch a new retreat and mastermind-based business to help founders get comfortable with and master the finance function in their business. This is exciting. The first retreat is scheduled for January 20th to 22nd. So it's just a few weeks out uh, from now. So definitely check it out. Keith earned his MBA in finance from the Wharton School, an MA in international studies from uh, the UP, University of Pennsylvania, and his BS in foreign service come loud from Georgetown University. So he's got no educational credentials whatsoever. <laughs> uh, and Keith, so excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you, Corey. I'm really excited to be here with you and um, really uh, reach your listeners and see how I can be of service in some way tonight. Excellent. So uh, listen, I want to give a quick shout out before we get into some of the questions uh, to um, Michelle Villalobos, who is the person who, Absolutely. through which Keith and I met at uh, one of um, uh, actually originally a virtual retreat about a year and a half ago, and then reconnected again uh, at Michelle's retreat. Michelle was a guest on episode 129 of the Deal Quest podcast. So, uh, and this will be episode 150 something. So, you know, so, so maybe uh, whatever, seven, eight months ago. So definitely check out Michelle's episode as well. Um, Keith, before we get into all the great stuff you do in deals and financing deals and, you know, the, the impact you've had and all the companies you've worked with, I want to take you back to when you were a little little kid growing up, maybe 8, 10, 12 years old. What did you want to be? Because, um, you know, maybe a finance person wasn't it at that age. You tell me. That's a terrific question and certainly one I wasn't prepared for. So you're going to get a total off-the-cuff response. And yeah, That's I'm the purpose that. of that question. <laughs> I love it. I think the spontaneity is good. I was fascinated with space and uh, the idea of an astronaut, but I was more taken at first to the engineering side of it. Yes. Not so much wanting to be the astronaut, but more I was fascinated with the way things worked and the possibilities that could be uncovered by feeling like you could master processes. I really should have been an engineer in many ways. Yeah, uh, That's not where the road led me. But um, I grew up in an area of Los Angeles where most of my friends' fathers worked in the aerospace industry. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, you know, the defense contractors that were a big part of Southern California. So 
most of my friends' fathers were engineers. So going over playtime was not just video games, which were just coming out, but erector sets and build things. And, and that was very fascinating for me. And really, even though certainly finance was not even a word I understood when I was that young, I loved math. I loved computation. Yeah. Numbers really spoke to me in a very special way. So yeah. I would say kind of engineer, I wanted to build things. Love it. Love it. Love it. And one more question going back. What's the first deal of any type you can remember doing? It could be something small when you were a kid. It could be something early in your career. Like anything that comes up as a deal for you that you did or, you know, early on. I can remember. Oh, God, I think the first deals when you think about remember when we were kids and in school, you would sell magazines or or other things of that. And I remember, in fact, it was magazine subscriptions. And I remember just the power of and the importance of, wow, it's not just the product you're selling, they're, they're, you're selling yourself. They're buying yeah. you and they're trusting yeah. you. Yeah. And that was a really good lesson early on. But the first thing, the first deal I ever did was actually with my father. My first job, believe it or not, and I think you saw this when we sat next to each other, was as an italic calligrapher. Yes. Yeah. My first paycheck I ever earned, I think was at 10 or 11 years old. I used to write handwrite the certificates for Yamaha International Corporation when people had completed their organ, uh, electone, whatever training. So, <laughs> you know, playing organs was a big thing in the 70s. So I love it. I love it. Yeah. And, and folks, uh, what Keith's referring to is when we were actually at Michelle's retreat, um, he was just sitting there and, you know, I happened to, we were next to each other, I happened to look over and, and he was handwriting, you know, this amazing calligraphy. I was like, oh my God, like, that's, that's unbelievable. And he gave me the backstory on how he, how he came to do that. So it was fun. Um, so Keith, uh, listen, obviously um, financing is a huge part, you know, of, of various businesses of various types, um, you know, whether it's lending, whether it's equity investment, whether it's, you know, um, and, um, and, you know, not, I mean, not every company, I guess, needs funding, but it's, pretty, you know, pretty universal, right? Most companies need funding of some type. Things have evolved. I know, uh, you know, I have various industries that I'm involved in where um, financing options were scarce. And then, you know, like, for example, in the investment advisor space 15 years ago, nobody understood that market. You couldn't really get a lot of lenders in there. And now there's money flooding in both on on that side and the private equity side. You know, you've been in this game a long time. So, um, you know, just let's start, start at a high level, right? What have you seen as the evolution you know, uh, over time in terms of, you know, financing and, you know, how it's used, what's, you know, what, what's evolved and changed over time in, in your That's a terrific question. And I think um, I can go back probably about 15 years ago is when I really started getting interest, interested in working with small businesses to maybe medium-sized business on financing projects. Yep. My original reason why is I was diagnosed celiac or gluten intolerant in 2005. Okay. And I worked with a certification organization to help certify products gluten-free. I was doing business development and I was excited to talk to founders and they had told me that finance was a pain point for them. Yeah. That was frightening for them, either raising capital or having a conversation with a bank if that were even possible. So I can say even 15 years ago, there was no such thing as FinTech or at least not anything that we could say was on the tip of our tongues. Yeah. So when you think of the evolution of finance, um, so much longer ago, back in that time, the only options people thought of finance was themselves, yep. an investor or a bank. Yeah. Now we know there's just so much, so many more options available and it's exciting to see what FinTech has done. I think it's gotten, it's helped create a more competitive playing field because FinTech, while usually being higher priced, does have the advantage of speed 
of execution based on algorithms and not long underwriting processes. Alternatively, there are the banks out there that still do their thing. We know they're highly regulated, so they can't have very uh, wide ranging criteria that allow for more loans to go in than they'd like. On the other hand, some are nimble and others are not. I think I'm excited for founders that they do have many more options than they've ever had. And it just keeps proliferating more and more every day. And the diversity of how they can use the money. I'm happy that FinTech particularly helps people with working capital, with areas where they're in a crunch, in addition to the traditional options that are open to them. Great. So listen, we we have a um, wide range of, of listeners. Probably most of them know what fintech is, and and you know. But why don't we give why don't we give a definition for the folks? You know, we do have some folks who are earlier on the deal journey, um, and uh, so when we say fintech, what do we mean? Well, fintech for me really means providers of certain financing solutions that are outside of the traditional sources. So outside of banks, brick and mortar banks the types of commercial loans and lines of credit that you can get in that thing or, or that area or traditional or other forms of financing, such as AR and inventory factoring, et cetera. So for me, FinTech is an offering that's almost always online. It's not tied necessarily to brick and mortar yep. and speed of execution, higher rates, but that's what you get. And usually less and, and far less underwriting or far less diligence involved in making a finance decision. Yeah. So let's, all right. So let's talk about let's stay on fintech for a moment. Then, uh, you know, who are some of the ideal candidates for, for fintech, and and who, who who are not? Right. You know, because I think any great professionals, uh, you know, going to actually qualify people both ways and and give them the advice that maybe you know this is not the right way for you to go as well. Yeah. It's and it's and the way I would address that question, Corey, it depends on mainly two factors. Yep. One is how much time in business they've been. And it's also the second one is, are they now or will they ever be profitable? (laughs) Or is that even the goal? Right. Because we know for a lot of businesses, particularly ones that are venture backed, um, a lot of them might be focused on specifically just growing the top line revenue. It's fine to have losses. They're growing market share. They're growing market penetration. And really top line revenue is what matters to them for an exit. Right. So FinTech in the way that I've usually worked with them is more frequently than not working capital solutions. Yep. Uh, and it's very appropriate for younger companies who are not making profit, who are just starting out, because a lot of times FinTech will do smaller value deals more easily than you would otherwise access in traditional settings that would require more time in business and profitability, usually at least on one filed tax return. So. I find that fintech really most best serves the younger and early stage companies just starting out. That being said, it's also good for companies that may need to turn around a financing opportunity or hopefully not a surprise or something difficult in a very quick way and need money right away. There's one area you may have heard of merchant cash advances. That's something we don't want people to have to go through unless they're really desperate. And so I think fintech filled a great void between super high price financing of of almost desperation and traditional low cost financing. And so I like where fintech sits and I think it serves purposes for people throughout the lifetime, but mainly the earlier stage companies. 
Great. And give people an idea a little bit more about sort of what your role in that is, right? Um, you know, uh, in terms of how you work with companies looking to, uh, you know, do fintech deals and raise, raise money. Yeah, I'd say in a broader sense, when people are looking for financing, um, I'm very blessed to have a good referral network and particularly in food and beverage and natural products, the types of products you'd see on a whole food shelf. And that's a core competency of what I do in a core industry that I like. Although I'm industry agnostic, I can really work with anyone in any set of financials. So most people come to me with a thought of, hey, I need money for X purpose. Right. Particularly if they know they need it for, they want to purchase real estate or acquire some assets such as equipment, or they, hey, I need more inventory. And inventory, of course, particularly for high growth companies and food and beverage, a lot of them are focused on that. So usually what happens is people reach out to me through being referred, or maybe it's a former client coming back for more. And hey, I have this idea in mind, and I think it costs this. And fine, we start with that hypothesis. And I have a conversation just like you and I are having. And in that discovery conversation, we would talk about, okay, let's get a, let's first get an idea of where you've been recently. And actually, it's really fortuitous we're speaking now because year-end is such a critical time for people to really be thoughtful about what they're doing, what choices they're making, or how they are going to account for their financials. An example of that would be right now, um, I was just on the phone with a, a couple out of Austin, Texas, who own a retail location, and they're right on the cusp of profitability. And so we talked about what their financing options that could be open to them if they can get profitable by really putting the, uh, you know, putting the accelerator down on making more sales, perhaps cutting back on expenses, even in this two week, you know, in this year end period, pushing them into January. And that was exciting to have that discussion because they are trying to make the choice to show as much profitability as possible on this tax return, because then it opens up many more financing possibilities. So for me, the analysis are, I'm looking at their financials, and then we're just talking about what could be possible based on the financials they have in the past, and then also what they're going to show in the future. That's the first stage. And that will determine the amount, the type of product that most makes sense for them, whether it's a term loan or some type of working capital solution or even fintech, and what the likely terms would be and when we could conclude a deal. Got it. And then you're going to help, uh, based upon all your relationships in the, in, in the lending space, you're going to, you're going to help figure out what some of the options offer them, the best solutions, right? And then make the appropriate connections and, and help them through the process? That's a great question, Corey. And after I've done a preliminary financial analysis, and once we've determined, hey, this is what we think we're going to do, this is we're going to go after this type of product, maybe a, a combination of a term loan, maybe there's a working capital solution, maybe there's an equipment component, whatever that portfolio of financing options is, we determine what's going to be needed to make that happen, all the documents we need to collect, all the what the financials need to um, show us, how much profitability needs to be there. And then I have the conversations with my lending network. I'm very blessed to have an outstanding lending network nationwide. And I discuss the deal scenarios. And then I come back to the borrower and say, okay, based on everything we talked about, here's what we know we can do. And then on the, on the assumption that they want to work with me, then we go down the process of all the underwriting, the questions, the collecting additional documents, all those different things that are traditional and people know about. And hopefully we have a successful closing. Um, one thing that's very important to me is to make sure that we're all being conscious of our time and our commitment. So I do a lot of that upfront work and analytics 
on purpose because I really want to make sure that I can be, have a successful outcome for someone. Yeah. Yeah. No, it totally makes sense. <clears throat> I mean, obviously it doesn't make sense for the potential borrower, the, the, the client to waste their time. And it doesn't make sense, you, you know, for you to do either. And I, yeah, 100%. You know, and I know I'm sure with your experience that, you know, you're able, I mean, obviously you have to go to the particular lenders, they got underwriters and all that kind of stuff, but you know, you, 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 you I'm sure you have a feel for, for the particular type of deal, industry, size, amount alone, all that kind of stuff about, you know, who would likely be the most, you know, the, the good options and the best fit and would like the deal and that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, that's absolutely true. I've been very fortunate that um, over time with my experience, those lenders are not just good for doing the deal, but they're very thoughtful in helping me understand or, you know, what are the hot button issues for them? Yeah. What different industries they might like, what other different other considerations that might be more important for them and less important for others. I've had that real opportunity to kind of peek behind the curtain and even speak with underwriters and heads of credit, which is normally not open to a lot of people, but fortunately through getting being successful with deals and really wanting to learn more, that curiosity translated into people really telling me what makes a good deal and what makes a good deal work for them. Yeah. So yes, up front, I have a really strong sense of I'm going to be successful or I need to take an alternative route. Love it. What are, what are some of the biggest, uh, you know, one, two, three, whatever you have, you know, mistakes that people make uh, in financing deals? Oh, wow. There, there are quite a few of them. Uh, <laughs> and to choose three could be a challenge, but um, I would say, so when you look at the most important criteria, I would say the most important thing is business owners have a lot of choices yep. about how they do their accounting. And certainly, and this is no judgment, certainly a lot of people in business have the attitude, I don't want to pay any taxes. Right. right. And that's fine. That's a choice. And I honor and respect that. And yet, if that's forever their choice, and they're traditionally showing minus 50,000 in losses or break even, well, you're not going to have access to financing. Or right. if you do, it's going to be, it's always going to be in the expensive fintech or alternative lender space. Right. And that's great. If that's a choice, that's what we can pursue. On the other hand, if someone is growth-minded and if they know that profitability is what they want to shoot for, it opens up more options of financing and it opens up the lower cost options for them. So yeah, you're going to pay taxes to get that. And yet that trade-off may make economic sense for you. So that's number one is how you choose to manage. Are you managing towards no taxes or managing towards profitability? Yep. I'd say the second thing is the importance of credit to not overlook credit as an area. Um, certainly people are very familiar with their credit scores. And I think when we were growing up, Corey, we didn't know what those were. No, no idea. There's plenty of outstanding people out there in the personal financial space that can, can give advice on credit. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I, I, I reassert to people is we know that credit can vary in the time of the month, particularly based on credit card usage. So you and I could see swings of 30, 40, 50 points going back and forth. And the difference between a yes and a no could hinge on the timing of when your credit is paid. Right. So I really encourage people, you don't have to necessarily pay a fee to continually monitor it, but as you're looking to think about financing, certainly we know credit takes a long time to repair if you need to work on it, or if you need to prepare explanations for events of the past. So doing that work up front and being prepared, that's a big part about what I do, because if it's not good, 
then we don't pursue the financing because you want to have a good result. Right. Um, the third thing is really to have a good vision of where you're going with your business. Mm -hmm. Most lenders, well, banks and term loan providers are going to look backwards in your financials. Yep. You need to be able to prove historical cash flow in order to say, can you afford this loan moving forward? That being said, because of COVID, now more than ever, lenders and also alternative lenders always have been this way, but even traditional bank lenders are asking what's next. How are you going to, if you, if you experienced issues during COVID, how are you going to continue to come out of that hole if you haven't already? So there is a lot more emphasis on projections and future finance or future um, profitability, future growth, all those different things, just to show that you successfully managed through uh, the pandemic. And some people still aren't out of it. And, you know, hopefully we don't have another huge disruption with this current variant that's out there. Nonetheless, um, there is a lot more emphasis uh, on what are future projections. And building on that, can you build your projections yourself? Are you familiar uh, uh, enough with your own financial statements, how they work, to be able to have a conversation even with a lender or an underwriter or someone who's, who wants to give you money about your numbers and really understanding them soup to nuts? So I would say those three things. It's, it's that combination of credit, knowing where you're going with your numbers and how you choose to account for uh, your business finances. Love it, love it, some great tips. Let's take a break from the show for a minute so I can invite you to a new way to determine your deal readiness. I created a fast and easy assessment that will determine exactly how deal ready you are. Once you complete the assessment, I use your responses to identify the obstacles that are holding you back from being a deal-driven growth genius. It's as easy as heading to coreycupfer.com slash assessment. That's coreycupfer.com slash assessment and filling out a few multiple choice questions. I'll be checking in after the episode to see what your results are. Now back to the show. So, so question for you. So you, you know, you, you've been running a successful uh, business doing, you know, doing this, right? Helping people, you know, get funding, get loans across the spectrum from traditional banks and SBA, right? All the way through uh, FinTech. And, and I don't know if you do any alternative stuff as well. Um, you, you do. Okay. So the whole spectrum, right? So wherever you are, you know, it sounds like in your in your stage and your growth or whatever, as long as you're fundable, there's a solution that you can bring them. I know you, you know, you're you're successful, very successful at it, but you're doing something new <laughs> now. Yeah. Um, and uh, and you know, again, uh, just a few weeks from now, January twenty to twenty second, it was yeah, my first ever retreat. First ever retreat. So um, before we, uh, you know, I want to hear about the specifics on the retreat and that kind of stuff. But before we get there, what inspired you to you know, listen, a lot of people like, you know, you, you, you do better than most, right? You know, you got good clients, you're on a good business. What inspired you even to look at, you know, uh, doing something in addition to it? You know, what's the motivation behind it? I really appreciate that question because that, that reason why was indeed what propelled the creation of this brand, Financing Man, which I'm having fun with too and, and exploring what that is and what it could grow into. And yeah. Corey, uh, when I, at the top of the show, when I explained my original reason why of getting into financing was when I was diagnosed celiac, helping gluten-free companies providing products to a gluten-free community, which I'm a member of, sure. was really important to me. That was an original reason why. So now scroll forward with the pandemic and probably you saw many of your colleagues, maybe even yourself got a PPP or idle loans. And um, that was a time when a lot of new people showed up 
for me who uh, referrals, friends of friends of friends, who might not have ever come to me for financing because it was not yeah. on their mind, but all of a sudden their business was interrupted. Yeah. Or they, for the first time in their life, may have had a shock that they didn't ever expect. And what was interesting during that process, and this really was started from March 2020 and through the summer when the loans were still fresh and new and people were getting into it, founders really shared very vulnerably with me. Yeah. And I've always considered myself an empathetic person uh, because certainly there are many more things beyond the numbers that, and their story, and there's, there's heartache, there's success, there's all of that. And I felt very invited and called to service to say, I need to open my heart up more. Mm -hmm. I need to show up more empathetically. I need to be willing to meet people where they are on their finance journey. And that's been a core part of what I'm doing. Exactly that. Meet them where they are on their finance journey. And that was people of all shapes and sizes from people who had huge net worths and were uh, having or had run multi-million dollar businesses to the person who's just starting out. And But it routinely pointed back to a couple of things. One is the people who were successful in getting the loans were the ones who were prepared, sure. had already had strong command of their financial statements. They had them at the ready. They had probably good support, whether a bookkeeper or CPA. So, hey, I need to apply for this loan. They're calling their person, great, or it's in their accounting software. They just push a button, great. They're ready to submit their file, and they got funded before everyone. Right. Every, and, and we saw that. For those who had not, for whatever reason, whether it's money stories or them feeling not that finance is something I can never understand it, they were holding themselves back, whatever. For those who didn't have any financial documents available, the process was grueling. Yeah. Because they not only had struggles understanding them, they had struggles obviously in applications because they weren't familiar with terms. They didn't know how to write or express themselves in finance language. And even worse than that, um, bookkeepers and CPAs were busy helping their already existing clients. Oh, yeah. And so once a year, people that only ever engage with a CPA once a year for taxes, they were left in a hell of a situation. They couldn't get help. They know they were desperate and they needed the money. And, you know, I'm not a CPA by training. And yet that's, I felt called to learn a little bit more about accounting so I could help. And so it was really those stories, those stories of founders saying, this is hard or I'm, I'm really frightened, or I've never really taken the time to learn about finance or be devoted or committed to managing my finances. So as those stories accumulated, and I heard more and more, and again, from startup to $50 million in revenue and everywhere in between, I just continued to question, how could I do more? And that process in 2020 kept building and building and building. And as you know, I'm in this mastermind program, hat tip again to the most wonderful person, Michelle Yalobos. And as we were having discussions in our mastermind group, and we would talk about money or the management of finances, there was a lot of real interesting sharing yeah. about the money stories, about oh, finances judgment. Finance makes me feel tight and tense, and, or it, it's, it's something I can never come up with. So I learned about limiting beliefs of financing and what people were talking about there. All of those things kept building and snowballing. And then finally, Corey, when I was hospitalized with COVID in September of 2020, 
Happily, it, it was not a severe case, it was a mild case. And yet there was certainly time, like I think a lot of men do to think about legacy yeah. and how we will impact the world and all men and women too. But certainly in that moment, I thought, well, I need to do this. I feel like I can, I can relate to people well on the management of their finances. And I became very inspired. And so there and all of that, I really worked, started working on October, 2020. And then now a little bit over a year later, the brand is really there. The website is coming out soon. I feel really good about this retreat. And, and the objective is not just the nuts and bolts, what I call the mechanics of finance, but really, really spending some time exploring the mindset Mm. All of those things we just mentioned, money stories, limiting beliefs, anything holding them back, and motivation again, uh, getting people excited to say, why are you in business anyway? And if, if it's a vision for doing social good or reaching a, impacting a community, let's talk about how finance really supports that. And it can be something that you can master in as little as what I'm saying is 15 minutes a day of devotion. And by having a calendar that that really lays out for you what you could be focusing on daily and weekly and monthly so that it's, there are no surprises. It becomes a part of your rhythm. I call it getting into your finance rhythm. Yeah. And it doesn't need to be hard anymore or something that you avoid or get frightened about. Love it. That's Love my it. promise. Love it. So, you know, listeners of the, and viewers of this podcast know that I come from like Keith, if you, if you listen to, you know, what we talked about so far, yeah. We've hit both ends of this. You know, there's one thing about deal making that is, you know, understanding the landscape and the avail, you know, the lenders that are available, the private equity folks or whatever, understanding deal structure, how to access it, what you need to do to prepare, financial statements, valuation, all that kind of stuff. Then there's the mindset piece, which we also always talk yeah. about on this on the show. And 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 you know, anybody who's listened before knows that I'm a big believer in in the, you know this mindset conversation and how. You know, because listen, I don't care how much knowledge you get, how much education you get, how many contacts you have, right? If you have a limiting belief that's standing in in, in the way of you getting a deal done, that, that that is unhealthy relationship to money, which by the way, most of us, whether we have a lot of money or not, have issues <laughs> in our relationship to money. I've done a lot of work on that over the years. And, you know, and I've been struck by, um, you know, people who work with folks um, around money, right? And who build great relationships because- you know, it's like you said, Keith, it's the stories, right? Everybody has a story on their relationship to money. I remember when Lynn Twist, who um, went on to write The Soul of Money, and she had the whole course about, you know, she's become a very big, you know, sort of money guru. And she was she was actually, it was before she had any of that, she was the head fundraiser for The Hunger Project. And I was very actively involved in The Hunger Project in the late 90s, early 2000s in there. And she was uh, what they call the head of strategic funding. She was the head fundraiser. And, and one of the things that Lynn said, uh, which impacted me so much is that as a fundraiser, she had to learn, you know, she would go in to these people who had, you know, millions and tens and hundreds of millions and billions of dollars to raise capital, right. To, you know, try to fund the end of hunger. And, um, and, you know, in the beginning she would be pissed off because, you know, like these people had all of this money and like, why weren't they writing a check? Right. Like how could they, you know, and what she learned was, that it wasn't that they were selfish, you know, most of them, it wasn't what that they were. It's just because you have money doesn't mean that you don't have issues with your relationship to money. I mean, a lot of these folks, 
you know, was no. still in a scarcity mentality. They were afraid it wasn't enough, or they were afraid that everybody was coming to take it away from them because that's what happens. You become a target when you when you have wealth of a certain. Everybody wants a piece of it, so you get you can be very guarded. You know, there's a million things that go on around. And one of the things that she said, I never forget it, is that the day I learned to have compassion for the rich is the day that I started being able to raise a lot of money because what I did was I listened to them and I listened to their stories, right? And she would then invite them to put more of their money where the highest ideals were, right? And she wasn't coming, she was inviting them to have a healthier relationship to, you know, to money. She was providing them with value as opposed to judging them. Like you have all this money or you can't write a check for, you know, what'll be not percentage. Um, so for me, that's just one of the many examples of how mindset, you know, can, can, can impact our relationship to things, including deals and money. So I'm, I'm super excited, Keith, that you're, that you're doing this. Um, you know, I think you have, I know you have a lot to offer there. I know you have a lot to offer there. Um, is there anything else you want to say particularly about what, you know, what the retreat uh, looks like, uh, the value proposition, what people get out of it, how they register for it, any of that kind of stuff? Yeah, awesome. Thank you for that invitation to share that. I appreciate it. And really the, the major outcomes of the retreat, I think there are several, but the three I want to focus on is I've created something which I call the aligned cash flow model, which I'm really excited about. And I'm combining what your business does and the results and your personal goals too all in one spreadsheet so that uh, oftentimes people will say to me, hey, I want my business to allow me to purchase a house next year. Yeah. Well, let's figure those numbers out so that they, they flow through. And it's kind of like an up and down exercise. It's almost algebra, right? If I know I want to purchase a house for X, what does my business have to generate in revenue and net income? And we're going to solve that for people. So that's the aligned cash flow model. Um, the second part is I created something I'm really excited about, which is called the four seasons of finance. And that is not just a calendar of what you could be doing daily, weekly, monthly in managing your finances. It also includes some cool components. I think they're cool. I hope others will too <laughs> about that. You only have to spend 15. Well, I suggest that you may only spend 15 minutes on finance a day doing different activities, perhaps doing just even the simple looking at your bank balances maybe reading up on finance, as you talked about retirement. Uh, this is a good time of year to be thinking about those things. So tips and tools of, of, of your own self-education or reviewing your financials. And then the last thing, which I'm really glad that you mentioned about mindset. I didn't realize, I'm going to confess to you and everybody here, I didn't really even know the word mindset in a very significant way until I joined Michelle's group. Wow. I must confess that. I did not fully internalize the emotional side of money. Yeah. And uh, now I do, I fully embrace it. And so the third major outcome is really trying to help people get out from behind those limiting beliefs, the blockages and anything standing in their way in managing their business finances and really being able to focus on growth and abundance and all the things that it can bring. So those are the three major outcomes. And I think on, I, I conclude by saying it's a combination of mindset, mechanics, and motivation, and hopefully some mentorship and maybe a little magic in between, right? So love that. We, we, know that <laughs> yeah, we know that by bringing people together that people will share vulnerably, they'll be supportive of each other. And I'm excited to create that space and also nervous too, because it's you just know quite not sure what's going to happen. But I, I know that I can step into the leadership to 
really help people have successful outcomes. So it's happening. The first one is January 20th, 21st, and 22nd. I set a second date, Corey, already March 31st, April 1st, April 2nd, because I know lots of people may have commitments at that time. And I just really would be excited to have any conversation with any of your listeners who uh, are thinking about financing or are saying, hey, this sounds like me. I'm struggling with mindset or the other side too. I'm thinking about, wow, a lot of growth and opportunity. I'm abundant. How can I support that and do even more? So okay. I'd be excited great. to speak with anyone. That's great. So so we're recording this obviously in advance of when it's going to air. It'll air you know, a few weeks before the um uh the first one in in january um uh what's the what's the is there a url or somebody that they can go to and find yeah, more absolutely. the name of the retreat is called making the numbers work for you yeah and happily i have that.com so making the numbers work for you.com or people can always connect with me at my own personal website happily i have my own name keithkohler.com and um either way and they can also connect with me on linkedin by searching for me there so Lots of ways. folks definitely reach out to Keith. I've uh, you know uh, gotten to know Keith a little bit over the last year and a half. Uh, you know he really does come from a place of of you know of contribution. Um, there's a lot of value there. Um, you know and uh, and and you know I'm super excited that he's you know that he's launching these uh, the, the, you know these retreats. Um, you know, obviously, also if you just have a financing need and you need somebody to you know help you help you with that, you can do that as well. Um, uh, you know, and I think, you know, these, these retreats are, are a huge opportunity. Um, and, you know, both sides of that totally relate to deals, right? You know, I mean, if, uh, if you, if you need the practical help, that's great. The mindset stuff's going to expand the opportunities that you have to grow your business, to look at different financing options, or even if you're not financing, just, you know, that, that shift in that relationship to money and, and understanding and owning finance and not being intimidated by it or, you know, or, or reactive to it or whatever is going to make a huge difference in your business growth. And, you know, that's what we're looking to support here. Um, Keith, my final question on the podcast is always about my highest ideal in life, uh, which is freedom. And for me, that means uh, everything from freedom for all people from oppression in the world to the reason I'm an entrepreneur and I haven't had a boss in 35 years, right? Um, what does freedom mean to you and how does it apply in your life and business? Well, it's so interesting you say that, Corey, because um, I've been asked in other settings, not necessarily podcasts, but just in casual conversation, what do you value most about being in business for yourself? Yeah. And I have always said freedom as well. Uh, and to me, Freedom means I can always be of service to all the people I want to at any time. And that's exciting. I can also be of service to myself, do have the type of mix of business activities I want to be involved in and uh, do things on my schedule, on my time frame. So yes, that freedom is what I prize more than anything. And it just allows me, I, I, I have an expression, the busier I am, the more free time I have. <laughs> and I think freedom fuels that, right? Yeah. Um, it's a motivation. It's a mantra. I, I completely resonate with you on that. And awesome. so thank you for uh, symbol or sorry, really em- embodying that. And for that reminder to even be more dedicated to that. And I think if I may just close with saying this finance yes. done properly or with a real commitment and a devotion to it is a method towards achieving more freedom. Hundred percent, no question about that. No question about that. Keith Cola, thank you for being such an amazing guest on the Deal Quest podcast, folks. Get, check out his stuff. Check out the, uh, the the retreats. I know you're going to get a lot of value there. Really appreciate you uh, coming on the show, Keith. 
Corey, it's a great pleasure to be here with you. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me on this episode of DealQuest, where we help you understand how deal-driven growth can be your ticket to freedom. I want to invite you to a unique way to tap into the wisdom and experience of the DealQuest community. Join the DealQuest Deal Den Zoom calls, a free monthly 90-minute mastermind. In the mastermind, we address all the challenges you may be facing and help support you with the opportunities that may arise in terms of deal-driven growth. You will get input not only from me, but all the members on the call will collaborate and serve each other in a mastermind format. To sign up for the free mastermind, go to www.coreycupfer.com slash dealden. That's coreycupfer.com slash dealden. I'll see you there. I'm Corey Kupfer. Until next week, wishing you the freedom and financial prosperity that I know your deal quest will bring.